Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of Match Point Canada. I'm Ben Lewis alongside Mike McIntyre. Remember, you can find us on Twitter at Match Point Can. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Pro Tennis Fan. Well, we are more than halfway through the action from Paris as we get into the second week of Roland Garros. It's a busy program this week. We'll be recapping the action we've seen so far. We have an interview with Sasha Zverev's favorite journalist from Yorkshire. But first, our very special guest this week. He's a two-time Grand Slam finalist. He's also the first South African to be ranked in the top five in 33 years. We welcome world number eight, Kevin Anderson, to the program. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us this week. Yeah, pleasure. Thanks for having me on, guys. Well, I know uh, for you, you can't be at the French Open this year rehabbing that elbow injury. Uh, obviously, never fun to miss time from the tour, but... Uh, how are you feeling physically now? And uh, do you think skipping the French Open was uh, was the right move? Yeah, it's been a pretty tough year for me. Um, yeah, I didn't really have too much choice skipping the French. It wasn't done sitting in a position of, uh, you know, if I've played a lot of matches um, and I thought it was best to recover my body, kind of the decision Federer has made over the last few years, which I think has been a very, very wise of him. Unfortunately, I wasn't in that position. It was out of necessity. So, um yeah, it's just been a little up and down. Sometimes tennis injuries can be very frustrating because they the small little overuse injuries, such as I have in my right elbow right now. And um, in a sport, especially with tennis, where you have so much repetition, uh, you know, it's tough to play if you're not um, feeling 100% in that, in, in that regard. So I'd say the, the positive of the elbow is I've been able to pretty much have an extended training period here. I've been uh, in the gym a lot. I've been, I've been able to practice because I can do everything but hit serves. Um, so I feel like I'm in great shape. It's just at the same time a little frustrating knowing how close I am to competing and feeling ready to go. But you know the elbow just wasn't where it needs to be. So um, we uh, we've tried a lot of things. I'm on a you know we sort of reset uh, before the clay court season started and. I took some more time off. Um, I went down to South Africa to actually get some treatment from somebody there who I know who has helped me before. And uh, I'm back on the court. I'm increasing the load on my serve. So if all goes well, fingers crossed, I'll be um, back playing on the grass. Well, we uh, obviously would love to see you there, given that you were the, the finalist last season. Uh, but I, I guess at this time you don't have a, a defined schedule, you would say? Yeah, so it's um, you know it's really playing it by uh, it has mm. to be pretty flexible. It's, I mean, it, everything's going according to plan, so that's very encouraging. Um, and if things continue this way, my schedule will be to I'll be playing Queens and then um, getting ready for Wimbledon. So uh, that's definitely the goal. That's what we're working towards. And uh, as I said, you just have to really be patient in this process. Kevin, with the time off, I mean, aside from rehabbing the uh, the elbow, what kind of activities and things have you gotten to do that normally you wouldn't uh, mid-season that you're uh, getting to enjoy on a positive side of things right now? <laughs> well, that's where it's been pretty uh, interesting because I've had pretty full training days here. I mean, we'd be out on the court in the morning, um, and you know, with, by the time I've treated and rehabbed, that's pretty much the whole morning, and in the in the afternoons. Um, you know, I'm in the gym and getting more treatment. So it's been, it hasn't been sort of just time off. It's really been a pretty extended, you know, training period. Um, of course, uh, going back 
Africa was definitely something I really enjoyed seeing my family, my friends, um, and I've not been back to South Africa this time of year since uh, since coming to college in 2005. So that was something I was able to do, um, which was very enjoyable. Uh, you know, outside of that, just being being at home. I mean, it's you know, obviously the plus is spending quite a bit of time at home is always nice. Obviously, we're on the road so much, so. I, I'd say outside of a few things here and there, it's been uh, just really, I guess, enjoying time at home. But at the same time, as I was saying, it's been uh, pretty pretty hard training and obviously a lot of time devoted to rehab and trying to get my older better. All, all eyes are on Paris right now, obviously, and uh, Djokovic yeah. is going for his fourth con- consecutive slam. Nadal's trying for his 12th title at Roland Garros. Federer's back in the mix and, and looking very strong again on clay. Uh, who do you think is the favorite to win the event? And have you kept your eye on the tennis, either from a scouting perspective or just out of pure enjoyment of the sport since you've been off? Um, yeah, it's been uh, probably the least amount of tennis I've actually watched uh, <laughs> just these last few weeks. I think just, you know, being being at home in South Africa and uh, with everything I've been doing hasn't... Um, you know, allow me to watch too much tennis. I've basically just watched some of the highlight packages. Um, I haven't actually watched any live tennis, which is a bit of an anomaly for me. I usually watch a little bit more. Uh, so I'm probably not the best person to ask right now, but just, you know, from, from what I've heard and what people are talking about, I think, um, you know, obviously Novak coming in, uh, winning um, in uh, making finals in Rome, you know, I would say he would probably be the favorite going in. And it's pretty amazing sort of the comeback he's had over the last year. He's going for, you know, holding all four Grand Slams, which is just an unbelievable accomplishment. So it's going to be, you know, really interesting, I think, to see how these next few days go. I'd say there hasn't been that many upsets this uh, this year. It seems like a lot of the seeds are progressing. Um, so it'll be really interesting to see how the next few days play out. Yeah, and we're certainly uh, fascinated to watch uh, as well. Uh, for you, we saw such an incredible year in 2018, a uh, real major breakthrough, and uh, we've seen you building towards that over the past couple of years, but reaching the Wimbledon final was, of course, an incredible accom- accomplishment, you know, winning titles at the New York Open and in Vienna, and then you reached a career high of, of number five uh, and qualified for the end of your finals. Now, in saying all that, it also turns it probably into the longest year of your career how was it i guess managing a, a season like that in tennis which really is a, 11 months out of 12 yeah uh it was a lot of tennis last year and uh you can maybe say i'm sort of uh um you know some of those effects are showing this year just in terms of my health um i think i played more you know i saw a stat at the end of the year i played more points than anywhere, anywhere else in the year so i probably spent more time on court as well and it's, it was you know, very physical and tough year, but I mean, that's what it took. It was, you know, my best year to date and, um, you know, some of the accomplishments I was able to achieve, which you mentioned earlier, um, are ones that I'm very proud of. Obviously, this is, you know, very frustrating that on the back of that, I'm having to sit time off and um, not being able to continue that. But, uh, you know, really, it's just those day in, day out, a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes, um, uh, not just from recoveries to treatments but also the way you set your schedule being smart about it um last year was the fewest tournaments i played throughout the year uh, that was uh very purposeful as well um and uh i mean I, I think at the end of the day there was just a lot of experience i gained and uh it just as i was saying it's just a tough process going from a year like that and then 
um, having to, you know, skip out quite a few tournaments already this year. But definitely a long-term perspective, um, you know, as long as I can keep my body healthy and keep motivated, which I feel my motivation is as high as it's ever been, it's uh, hopefully I'll be able to play for another several more years. So as tough as this process is right now, I'm trying my best to stay upbeat and know that uh, eventually I'm going to get to where I need to be to get back on the tennis court. And uh, I think so special about uh, seeing what you've accomplished over the past couple of years is we're so used to seeing players maybe peak uh, in their mid-20s and now you and others even like your Wimbledon semifinal opponent John Isner seem to be playing their best tennis of their careers into their 30s and uh, uh, especially seeing that over the past couple of years. What do you think you attribute that, that huge step forward in your career once you hit 30 and how has it really changed your life I guess both on and off the court? I think for me, it's just been really a constant progression of how can I keep getting better as a tennis player? And that's been the, the attitude I've had my whole life. And uh, for me, it was just the lessons I needed to learn and where I needed to get to allowed me to, uh, well, I guess, resulted in me having sort of the highest success that I've had later on in my career. But I think all of that is a learning it, it's a learning curve and as long as you're on the right path I feel that's what I've always been looking at and uh, it seems like as, as you were saying earlier there's other guys who have played some of their best tennis later on in their careers I definitely think it's a bit of a perspective change I know when I first started playing tennis and I was early 20s and my teenage years the guys who had reached sort of the the number 30 was you saw them as uh right at the end of their careers and a few of them were retiring around that age and here I am all these years later at 33 and I want to play for as many more years as possible. So I think that perspective of how people perceive it has definitely changed and even though that might seem a little silly on the surface, it's a very powerful uh, thing seeing Roger playing the way he has at, you know, I don't know exactly how old he is, late, uh, late 30s now is definitely very inspiring. Um, and uh, you know, for me, the biggest two things are it's sort of what I alluded to earlier. It's your motivation in the game and if you can keep your body healthy. And as I said, my motivation's there. It's been a bit of a struggle physically this year so far, but I've got a great team around me. I've got a lot of support from my family. And it's really about just keeping patient, keep believing in yourself. And eventually, I know I'm going to get back out there and uh, we'll give it my best shot to uh, keep uh, having some of my best results. Kevin, it certainly is inspirational. And I got to say, even for a guy like myself in my mid-30s, you know, if I see you guys going out and doing the things you're doing, I've got no excuse stepping on the uh, public courts near my house, do I? Exactly. Um, Hey, look, we're we're hoping, like you said, that you'll be back on the court soon for the grass court swing. And as a Wimbledon finalist uh, and a man who defeated Roger Federer, of all people, uh, last year, how do you anticipate feeling as you walk back into the All England Club this summer? Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting. I mean, just given where I've been at this year. And honestly, right now, I'm really focused on just taking a day at a time. So I've not really thought too much about what it's going to be like going there as reaching the finals a year ago. But uh, either way, no matter what happens, it's all of that is really at the end of the day is how you perceive it. Um, Just because I made the finals last year, it's it's not going to allow me to have an easy first round. My opponent's not going to just give it to me because I was in the finals last year. So it's it's really about resetting, and I think that's what 
the guys at the top of our sport who have won so many titles, the top three right now, they just do that so well, even though they've had a, you know, so much success year in and year out. I, I really think that they get back to the tournament and they go back to their basics. They go back to what works for them. So I think for me, going, going back, I'm sure it will elicit a lot of great memories that I had last year. But you know, if I'm healthy and, and where I, where I want to be, it'll be really getting back to business. And that's taking care of the details each and every day. It's, it sounds pretty boring on the outside, but I think that's what it takes. And that's what allows you to have uh, the most amount of success. I've got to ask you, though, are you going to try another lefty shot like you did against Isner in the, uh, in the semis last year? <laughs> yeah, I might have to if, uh, if, if the situation allows. It's, I've seen quite a bit of crazy stuff going on in, in, in my absence on the tour. I've seen more underhanded serves and, yep. a few, and a few different things going on. So I don't know if uh, the next step from that is throwing in the lefty more often. <laughs> it, it wouldn't be that shocking anymore, given what we've seen in recent weeks, no, I guess. Exactly. Hey, while yeah. we're on the topic of Wimbledon, you uh, seemingly had quite an impact on changing the tradition there after your epic fifth-set victory over John Isner. Uh, from now on, there's going to be a tie-break if the score is deadlocked at 12-all. How do you feel about that rule change and the fact that it came in part from uh, your marathon tiebreak and uh, and uh, an extended, sorry, uh, fifth set there last summer? I think it was a long time coming. I mean, if you look back at John's match against Mahout all the way in 2000, I mean, uh, that's, you know, I think the, 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 the rule could have changed all the way back then. I think the biggest difference is just at the end of the day, it was at the semifinals, and not in and not during the first round. So I think it had more of an impact. More people saw saw it. I think the the effect was just quite a bit bigger. Me personally, I think it's a really good rule. I think even if they set it at six all like they do at the U.S. Open, I would have been fine with that. Uh, I think they put it at twelve all just to have it all still keep it unique in a sense. And it's quite interesting because all Grand Slams now have different rules in the first sets. Uh, but I think overall, the idea that a tiebreaker in the first set is too too much luck involved, I definitely disagree with that. I feel if that six all in the first uh, result hasn't been decided upon, I think having a tiebreaker would be a very fitting end. So whether it's six all or twelve all, uh, I don't think it actually would have made too much difference. And if you look at other sports as well, there's a lot of times it, it comes down to that sort of tiebreak format. So overall, I think it's a good rule. I think they could have done it 6-all, but I think even cutting it at 12-all is still a step in the right direction. And uh, as you point out, uh, well, such a marathon match that you and John Isner played. Uh, Stefano Tsitsipas and Stan Wawrinka just played a, a marathon match themselves, five hours at the French Open in the round of 16, uh, where Stefano Tsitsipas prevailed and... Uh, or rather, Stan Wawrinka prevailed, and Stefano Tsitsipas actually wrote uh, quite a nice thing on Instagram uh, about sort of experiencing something in his life that he will never forget and, and was something that he couldn't imagine possible. Um, I, I know you've had some of these incredible matches. In fact, you had a great five-set match with one of our Canadians, Denis Shapovalov, at the U.S. Open. Um, do you come away with a really special feeling when you and a competitor can sort of lay it all on the line and... Uh, really give everything you have for such an extended period of time. I, I don't know if you could sort of summarize what it feels like coming through one of those matches or maybe losing one of those matches as well. It's very, it's a very emotional feeling, I think, at the end. Uh, if nothing else, just from a physical standpoint where you've really put in a lot of effort, your body's nearing exhaustion, 
and they saw so much on the line. And I think when you have that balance, it definitely results in a very emotional experience, I think. And as you mentioned, I had quite a few very close footsteps at Wimbledon, especially. It was uh, nice for me that I was on the winning side of those encounters. So that always helps. Uh, that always helps at the end of the day. But especially in my semifinal match, I think the just the raw emotion after being on the court for so long and also understanding what my opponent must have felt in that position at 20, whatever it was, 24 in the first set and meaning me winning those next two games and losing in such a big match with such a tight scoreline is something very unique and uh, something that's very hard to replicate to say the least. So looking at Tsitsipas and what he wrote on Instagram, I definitely can relate to that. He had an unbelievable match with Stan, as you were saying, and at the biggest stage as well. I think that makes it even more special with the crowd getting into it. Uh, those matches, you know, can't just, you know, you can't just recreate that of playing in a practice set or even playing two out of three sets. I think just something about the time spent out there and at the Grand Slams lends itself to these sort of uh, experiences taking place. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. Our guest this week, South African tennis player Kevin Anderson. We just have a couple more questions for you, Kevin. Uh, We were fortunate enough, actually, last summer to have your wife, Kelsey, on the program. And I know she certainly plays a a huge role in supporting you on tour. Uh, She said that she was your, quote, wife and support team chairperson. Uh, For you, does that uh, do enough justice for how important she is to you in your life? No, I think it's a little bit more than that. It's uh, obviously, first and foremost, just Having, having my wife with me and us being able to experience this time of our life together. We started dating in college before I even turned professional. So she's really been on this whole journey with me. And for quite a few years, we were doing long distance and we just decided it was, it was better for us to spend this time together. And, you know, from a business standpoint, from a tennis standpoint, she knows me better than anybody else. She's really picked up a, a, a very keen eye for the sport. Uh, I think she's really helped me in some of my toughest situations, just especially from an emotional standpoint. Um, so I think it's really helped me in several different ways, uh, not just from a personal standpoint and a logistics standpoint, helping out with flights, hotels, everything that goes on with that, managing my team as well, but also just actually from the tennis standpoint. Uh, it's so mental out there. It can be very tough. It can, there's a lot of roller coasters, a lot of emotions going up and down, and having her there is definitely helped me through that. Uh, you know, staying on the theme of uh, a family here and how supportive uh, Kelsey is, the, the two of you just seem to come across as such such great people online. You've got a wonderful oh, social you. media presence and uh, you're both involved in obviously some uh, very, uh, you know, some things you're very passionate about, such as the uh, animal ocean rescue, very complimentary both in, in defeat and in victory, both you and Kelsey, of your opponents. But where does that come from, and why is that so important to uh, to both of you to be like that? Well, you know, there's a few different points you touched on there. I think in terms of the uh, charity work, I feel like we've gotten involved with. It's just something we're both very passionate about, and I think just where I've put sort of the platform I've managed to create, it's something that uh, I think is very important for us to do, and that's why we're really proud of kicking off our first 
our, our first big charity event, which we put on last year in December, benefiting both an animal rescue and uh, and ocean conservancy. I've been pretty big with uh, trying to raise awareness with the plastic problem that we have. Um, and that's something we're definitely going to continue long in the next few years, but long after I'm done playing tennis as well. Uh, you know, I think just tennis is a tough sport and there can be uh, you know, only one winner. And I think it's important just to, for, you know, one of my big things is act as the best role model as I can. Um, I'm very passionate about trying to set a good example, uh, especially for people watching. Uh, I've, I've mentioned that a few times and I'm even more focused and passionate about setting a good example for kids uh, who hopefully are watching and hope to have their own dreams, not just whether it's tennis or whatever wh- or whatever endeavor they're pursuing. Uh, I just try and set a good example and where I can, I really enjoy sharing some of the knowledge that I've acquired. And uh, that's, uh, I think, maybe from both of us, just, just being raised by uh, you know, good parents uh, who are good values. Well, it definitely resonates with us here in, in Canada, both speaking to you right now and, and obviously when we chatted with Kelsey last summer and uh, actually your pup, uh, Lady Katie, was there too for that interview. So now we've had all okay. three of you uh, on, the, uh, on the program, but uh, definitely uh, kudos for all of that. And uh, Kevin, we both just want to uh, say uh, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, and uh, we also would love to we would love to see you at Rogers Cup in uh, Montreal if you can make it this yeah. summer. I'm sure Canadians would yeah. love to see you play. Well, it's one of my favorite weeks, so hopefully, you know, hope they'll hope they'll be there. Fantastic! Thanks again for joining us. That was South African tennis player Kevin Anderson, world number eight and two-time Grand Slam finalist. And uh, as he said, we'll be getting ready uh, for the grass court season, which uh, we will be watching for, and hopefully, see him on the courts at Wimbledon. Be a great time for him to come back if he's healthy, because that's you know the surface where he's going to be super effective and hopefully he can get back in a in a groove like he did last year as you know we were talking about this before the podcast but it's just remarkable how in the last two years he's just shot up in the rankings and how confidence and adjustments to his game um you know after that first grand slam final appearance at the u.s open there were a lot of people that said well okay maybe a a one-hit wonder in that sense yeah and he proved them totally wrong by Mm -hmm. making it to the finals of Wimbledon last year too which I thought was absolutely phenomenal yeah absolutely I think in 2017 that U.S. Open draw the way it was shaping up uh with a few players missing and early exits from from Roger Federer and a few other players that Kevin Anderson suddenly appeared in the final and people sort of thought oh well this was one of those you know sort of odd moments that uh Kevin Anderson can take advantage uh, of a weaker draw no he was getting that much better and we saw him back it up so well in 2018 and it was great to hear him detail uh I I guess his goals and just improving as a tennis player day by day week by week and and that's how you can have these uh rises I I think later in your career which is what we're seeing from so many players if you don't get comfortable just saying well I'm a top 30 player and kind of hang around here uh constantly evolve make adjustments we know how much the game has changed too in terms of physiotherapy keeping players' bodies conditioned to play longer. And pretty incredible to hear him say as well at the age of 33 that he wants to play several more years, uh, which is fantastic. No, absolutely. And uh, you know what? Once this 30-something crowd does eventually end up retiring, I I mean, I guess that'll just pave the way for guys who are in their 20s now to have their late, you know, resurgence or or push 
uh, in, in those years. It's, it's going to be really awfully interesting to see what happens down the road, although none of the big guys uh, seem like they're ready to uh, hang up the rackets uh, even remotely soon. No, and uh, passion and desire, motivation, that, that's all playing a role. Uh, also detailing Kevin Anderson, uh, just his motivation to keep playing and going out there. And how could he not be motivated after the great couple of years he's had, seeing how much he has grown in the game? So it was awesome to get him as a guest and uh, hear that, you know, he, he's been through a difficult stretch with injuries, obviously probably a result of a ridiculously long 2018 season. But uh, if he comes back healthy, uh, there's no telling what he can do. Yeah, let's uh, maybe transition now to the other players that are healthy and are playing uh, at the French Open this week. And I think we're going to start with the women's side and examine what's going on there. Because to me, that's been where the most, the, you know, the biggest headlines have happened so far in Paris on the women's side, while the men are sort of on pace for what we might have expected. Um, what has caught your eye uh, so much so on the on the women's side the first week? Well, it was fascinating. I mean, by round three, we had 15 of 32 seeds gone. So right off the bat, I think we were sensing this was going to be a wide open roll on Garros. I suppose we predicted that to a degree, but I think we had a handful of names circled that we figured were top contenders. And then very quickly, they were out. Carolina Pliskova was a name right there, uh, holding on to that number two seed who had, who had been playing well. I think we thought she could make a deep run didn't happen. Petra Mardik took her out. Kiki Burtons uh, gets an illness and suddenly she is out. Serena Williams, it was tough to place an expectation on her, but I don't think we had Sophia Kennan defeating her. And then uh, the number one seed, the number one in the world, Naomi Osaka as well falling. And uh, the name right now that is hanging around and comfortably just winning match after match that's standing out to me and probably everybody is, as the safe bet is the favorite, it has to be Simona Halep. Yeah, although forget the safe bet. I want to go with something wild <laughs> sure. and crazy and unpredictable. Why and I'll, not? I'll get to Marketa Vondruzova a little bit later. But as you mentioned, you know, some of the upsets to me didn't really seem like upsets. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, burdens, obviously, but she was, uh, you know, was an upset stomach, not an upset on the, the tennis court, unfortunately. And True. I think I jinxed her when I made her my pre-tournament pick, which I just have to stop doing. Yeah, um, Pliskova, you're right. She had that result heading in, but I don't think prior to that we would have considered her in that upper echelon of clay court players. Uh, Serena, just hoping we can see her healthy because she's played in, like, I think five events now in 2019, and, uh, and only twice has she be able, been able to finish them on her own terms. And this one, while she finished against Kennan, you could tell she wasn't nearly at her best. She admitted that she wasn't even sure if she was going to play Roland Garros, but decided to give it a whirl. Um, I, I hope she can get more into, you know, sort of game shape and get more matches under her belt so that we can see what she truly can do when she's at 100%. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a big ask when you're 37, almost 38 years old, and you're, you're balancing life as a, a mother as well on the side. So uh, we'll see what she can do on the grass. Uh, Naomi Osaka did not surprise me. No. I, I thought she might have even gone out sooner to Victoria Azarenka, who uh, poor Vika is just always coming up against tough players, and she's got to push that ranking into the top 30 so she can start seeing some seeded uh, numbers next to her in the draws. Uh, but in terms of what's less, the left, uh, yeah, obviously Simona Halep is the one that everyone's going to be drawn to, been in the finals three times before, mm-hmm. uh, playing remarkably well. She was only on court for 45 minutes today against uh, Sviantek, the uh, young up-and-coming Polish player. Um, but to me, Marketa Vondruzova, who has um, spent uh, not very much time on court, she, uh, her and Anisimova are the only two players left in the draw that haven't dropped a set yet. Uh, Vondruzova is averaging uh, only 5.3 games lost so far per match. Wow. And that confidence just seems to be rising in the 19-year-old. 
And I wonder if she's going to be this year's version of, say, Yelena Ostapenko that a lot of people don't sort of see coming in as a legitimate threat, but has her coming out moment uh, here in Paris. And if that happens, uh, finally, we can chalk one up as something we got right here at Matchpoint Canada in terms of predictions. We did have her circled as a, as a potential dark horse in, in this draw, and uh, she has just really comfortably, easily worked her way through it. As you mentioned, 5.3 games lost per match is incredibly, incredibly low, and just polishing off Sevastova 6-2, 6-love. I'm pretty intrigued by that matchup with Petra Mardik. Uh, you know, we were talking about Karolina Pliskova. It was Mardik who gave her so much trouble, and she's had some pretty solid clay court results coming in as well, uh, particularly in Istanbul, where she captured the title, and very intriguingly enough, beat Marketa Vondrasova in the final there in three sets, uh, 1-6, 6-4, 6-1. So that could be an intriguing matchup. We have to talk about Johanna Conta, I suppose, because... The French Open slam was always the worst slam of her career. 0-4 coming in. And I, I like to point back to our interview with uh, George Belshaw, uh, the Brit who graciously joined us a couple weeks ago. It, it feels like Johanna Conta's luck has has really turned since that happened. She reach, reaches the finals in Rome, which obviously she gained so much confidence from. And now she has a very intriguing quarterfinal with Sloane Stevens, who also has to be a candidate to win this thing. Yeah, Conta's coming in with so much confidence. I mean, that tournament in Rome was phenomenal. She beat some great players, Sloane Stevens, Venus Williams, Vondruzova, Kiki Burdens. I mean, that is just a phenomenal list of players to take out in one event. Uh, Conta struggled since making the semis of Wimbledon back in 2017. I think a lot of it stemmed from, you know, mental lack of confidence. Yep. And then you get in a rut and it's hard to get yourself back out of it. She's got a good uh, coach this year, Dmitry Zaviolov, who coached Tamea Baczynski, who made two semifinal appearances at the French Open. So I think in terms of having some of that success on clay, we got to give some kudos to her coach. I think that's meshing well. And perhaps that was a good, good choice to uh, have improvements on this surface because I was shocked that she was 0-4, uh, you know, heading into Roland Garros ever at this Grand Slam, to be honest with you. Yep. And and now with the confidence, I mean, she took out Donna Vekic quite easily or much easier than I thought she was going to. But she is coming against uh, Sloane Stevens, who made the finals here last year. So uh, some of those veteran names definitely to keep an eye on. And then sort of balanced out with some of these young up-and-coming kids that uh, want to make their mark as well. Yeah, well, I think the question to ask, and maybe we'll throw this up actually on our Twitter account as a potential poll, what is more likely that we'll see a first-time Grand Slam winner or someone who's won before winning another slam? And that would be either uh, Sloane Stevens or Simona Halep. And then you have a couple names like uh, Madison Keys has been close before. Uh, we wouldn't have maybe predicted a French Open breakthrough for her, but she's uh, lingering as well in the quarterfinals as a top American player. But, uh, you know, some names itching to get their name on a trophy for the first time on a major trophy uh, and Simona Halep and Sloane Stevens looking for a second title. Pretty compelling. And before we uh, switch over and look at the men, there is one other female tennis player that we've got to mention. Yes. And that is uh, Canada's anchor, our double specialist, proud double specialist, Gabby Dabrowski, who's having a fantastic event so far. She's into the quarterfinals as we record this right now in both women's doubles and mixed doubles. And she's only lost one set through five matches in both of those draws. So certainly finding her form. I feel like as we followed her along this year, it's been getting progressively better and better. Uh, I mean, in the sunshine double there, 
Indian Wells in Miami came up against a very hot team of Sabalenka and Mertens that ended up winning both of those events. Uh, can't really falter for that. And I, I just feel like she's been getting into her groove, had a tournament win coming in as well on clay. And, uh, you know, the deeper she goes here, the better odds that we're going to see her potentially pull off another Grand Slam trophy. Yeah, certainly uh, very possible. She's done it before with Matty Pavic at the French Open. And you look at the, the possibility in the women's draw as well. Uh, it's very good timing for Gabby Dabrowski to really step up at the French Open. I think the narrative for the beginning of this tournament with Roland Garros was major disappointment. I mean, we had Milos Raonic having to withdraw. We weren't sure if he was going to play. Felix Ojeali-Assim had been playing so terrific on the clay, reaching the finals in Lyon, and then the abductor injury acts up. So disappointing. We can't see him on the clay. Denis Shapovalov hadn't really been playing well on the surface. We know Jeannie Bouchard hadn't played for a couple months. Then the injury to Bianca, it felt like every singles player was really dropping like flies for, for Canada. Uh, but let's lean on the double hopeful. We used to do this years ago with Nestor every time, so we can do it with Gabby now. That's right. It did look tough for Canada, and there must have been people from other nations saying, finally, Canada, you're not you know, <laughs> winning, you're not right. advancing. Well, hey, just wait and see, because Gabby Dabrowski could, uh, could be it for us. Yes, absolutely. Still have to watch out for that team of Mertens and Sabalenka, though. That's a... Deadly combination of huge hitters uh, for a doubles doubles tandem. Very difficult, uh, but great thing she is in two draws, also in the mixed doubles draw. Uh, So two chances uh, for a Grand Slam title or maybe uh, reaching a final. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. I'm Ben Lewis. He's Mike McIntyre. You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan. Our guest uh, we already heard from was Kevin Anderson, uh, the South African tennis player, world number eight and two-time Grand Slam finalist. He's not competing in France, but we are into the quarterfinals of our men's draw as well. I'll start with a happy 33rd birthday to Rafael Nadal, someone who says he's not fond of getting older and not particularly fond of birthdays uh, because I think he feels it's cutting his playing time uh, and career shorter and shorter. But he has looked very solid so far through a week and change. Just one brief scare, losing a set to Davi Goffin, who look is a former top 10 player. Apart from that, it's been very smooth sailing, and I don't see much of a test awaiting Nadal until maybe the semifinals. Yeah, well, I'm ready for some fireworks on the men's side because so far all the drama and the intrigue for me has been with the women's draw, which is absolutely fine. But on the men's side, you know, the top three guys of uh, Nadal, Djokovic, and Federer have just been kind of rolling along, and no disrespect to their opponents, but they haven't had to face, you know, big names obviously yet at this point uh, or, or tricky players that could have, you know, thrown them off their their rhythm so much. Uh, when you look at Stan Wawrinka, who's got to play Sissipas, you know, in that match, and what will he have left? We're going to have to wait and see. Um, but Nadal, going for his 12th one, uh, spending as little time as he almost possibly could on the court is good. He looks fit, doesn't seem to be held back by anything. Um, now that we're getting to the later stages, we're going to see some big matches. And and while I think, you know, Nishikori, you know, 10-2 and two record that Nadal holds in his favor against, against Kay, uh, and, and Kay's never beat him on clay, but some of the other ones, Federer, Vavrinka, uh, Kachanov, and team, Djokovic, and Zverev, to me, those other three quarterfinals have some major possibilities to them. Yeah, certainly. Uh, starting with, I guess, Favrinka and Federer, fascinated by the all-Swiss matchup because four years ago they played on the surface. Stan got him there in straight sets and later was hoisting the title for his first and only French Open title. Stan, uh, it's a very one-sided affair in the head-to-head leaning Roger's way, but when Favrinka beats him, it is on the clay court surface. I guess 
my biggest concern with him is fatigue and how he is going to recover from that five-set marathon with Stefano Tsitsipas. Well, Roger Federer, it's just been easy coasting uh, through one week of play, and he's looked really, really good. Uh, to me, this match could almost be a coin flip. I'm actually maybe leading Federer, uh, and if he were to win, it would be interesting to see him play Nadal again, actually. Yeah, I mean, Federer leads, like you said, 22-3 head-to-head, but the three wins all came on clay for Stan. If he hadn't had that five-hour marathon match, I'd agree with you. I'd put Stan as probably the uh, slight favorite. Um, but, you know, and they're going up early tomorrow. They're the first match on, which is not doing uh, Varenka any favors. Nope. You know, all the Federer conspiracy theorists out there can uh, <laughs> weigh in on that one. Yeah. But uh, it is going to be difficult. And, you know, regardless of what happens for Federer, whether he, you know, goes out in the quarterfinals to his uh, compatriot or not, this experiment coming back to clay, huge success. I, I, I don't see how he doesn't come back next year. And, and go through the clay court season again, given how things have gone for him in 2019. Yeah, I think you could pencil him in ahead of time for a quarterfinal result at Roland Garros. That's immediately a success. And the fact he's done it going a, a perfect 12-0 and 0 in sets and really hasn't been tested very hard, except for maybe Casper Ruud in one tie break. He's looked fantastic. And look, he's given all the players a run for their money in his losses too. that Dominic team loss he had a few weeks ago uh, was a marathon three set match. And I think he held match points in that too. So he can play with the big guns. Uh, and I'm expecting certain, certainly fireworks uh, against Stan Favrinka, such big hitters, always fun to see the one handed back in matchup as well. It's, a little rare to see. We got to see it with Tsitsipas and Vavrinka, and we'll get it with Federer and Vavrinka as well. I'm pretty curious about the team and Kachanov match. Um, I'm, I'm not convinced that this is a guaranteed win for team at all. Kachanov looked very good uh, beating Juan Martín del Potro. Yeah, they've only played once before with Kachanov winning, but that was on, I believe, an indoor hard court, so we got to just throw that one right out the window. Uh, Dominic team to me, is uh, is certainly the favorite in, in this one. Um, and... But again, for him to win his first French Open, he's going to have to likely get through, again, Djokovic, Nadal, back-to-back. So, so difficult when you think about that. And then if we flip to the other quarterfinal, Djokovic-Zverev, which you and I were talking about a little bit before we started recording, I think we see it a little different because what what odds did you give Zverev? Was it under 5% or something? I think I said 5%. (laughs) And I think actually that Zverev is starting to round into form finally. He's got a two and two head to head against Djokovic, and both of his wins were in pretty big events. One yeah. was the final in Rome a couple of years ago, so he has beaten him on clay. One was in the ATP Tour Finals at the end of 2018 as well, and I think we're starting to see him get better. and uh, And I do think he's got a little good luck charm with him, which is that uh, reporter from Yorkshire. Jonathan Pinfield, who seems to bring out a totally different side of Sasha Zverev and press that the rest of us don't get to see. That's right. And uh, I know for a second consecutive year, actually, you had the chance to speak with Zverev's favorite journalist from Yorkshire. Love the accent. Zverev loves it even more. And uh, I, I guess before we play this interview, why don't want to give us just a little lead in of what to expect? Well, first of all, he's just a great guy, Jonathan Pinfield is. And when you talk to him, you know, it, it comes across just like in press. He's genuine. He's very warm. And, and he's just got that great accent, which I do feel now I've got a pretty good handle on after yeah. multiple conversations. Uh, I did invite him over to Canada. He's got an open invitation to come here at any point. And, and I hope at some point down the road to, uh, to go to Yorkshire, maybe 
when Zverev wins a Grand Slam because he did promise him he would go to Yorkshire to celebrate. That's right. If that ever happens. So I had a nice chat with uh, Jonathan Binfield. He's a reporter for Live Sports FM. You can find him on Twitter at Tweets by JP. And uh, without further ado, uh, here's our conversation. Jonathan, it's great to be talking with you once again. Our interview last year was one of my absolute favorite on our show. And, of course, we are once again enjoying your refreshing questions in the press conferences this year at the French Open. I know you're a busy man, so we certainly appreciate you taking the time to be with us today. Well, it's always good to chat to you, Mike. And uh, I know that you and your colleagues uh, are very supportive as well, and that's greatly appreciated. Uh, Yeah, when I'm doing the hard yards. Let's get right to the chase then. Tell us. How did it feel to be reunited with Sasha Zverev, the player who you meshed so well with last year, and really where your wonderful persona and press was first brought to our collective attention? Well, it was quite an emotional uh, reunion, Mike, uh, and I was very pleased to see him again. Uh, as we know, he's had a challenging start to the year, uh, hasn't had the best of results uh, until recently, but uh, some members of the media have also been saying that he can be a bit prickly and defensive in news conferences, so uh, it was a bit like a second date where you have fond memories of the first one, but you're slightly nervous about what's going to happen on the follow-up, but uh, I'm delighted to say that he started playing some great tennis here at Roland Garros, he's definitely in good spirits, Uh, he exclusively told me that if he wins Roland Garros, the first thing that he's going to do is visit my home county, Yorkshire which will be great, and he's also told me that he's having lots of fun off the court as well, uh, late nights in Paris, and uh, we might tell you a bit more about that at another point, but he's in good form, I'm delighted to be chatting to him, uh, and most importantly for anyone who's a Sasha Zverev fan, he's working his way into Roland Garros this year, so fingers crossed. Yeah, you, you've mentioned that it hasn't been an easy year for him in 2019 to find his form. What, what changes have you noticed with him, either on or off the court from a year ago, Jonathan? I just think his general demeanour uh, isn't as positive. Uh, he wears his heart on his sleeve, he's very emotive, he's quite self-critical at times. He's made lots of changes off the court, he's effectively self-managed at the moment, uh, he's got a change in uh, some of his backroom team. Uh, you may or may not be aware that Ivan Lendl, his coach, isn't actually with him here at Roland Garros. They're still speaking every day, but uh, due to schedule commitments, Ivan isn't with him. And yeah, his body language, he hasn't quite got the same swagger as he had last year. As I mentioned, he is being a bit more defensive. Uh, in his media conferences, certainly with other members of the media. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to strike up a good rapport with him again this year. But, yeah, hopefully that's changing. Uh, he made an effort to say that he's looking to take a more positive approach onto the court, uh, and it looks like it's working for him right now. So impressed with him, do they just immediately pass the mic to you to get the ball rolling and put him in a good mood then? Yeah, it's interesting. I was slightly surprised, uh, not just for Sasha, but some other international tennis players. Uh, certainly in the first few rounds, uh, although it's an international media conference, there haven't been a lot of English speakers at the first couple of uh, media conferences uh, for Sasha so far this year. And I think that reflects the fact that he's coming into this tournament, even with a win under his belt, slightly under the radar. The spotlight isn't on him as much as it has been 
uh, in previous years, but he actually said he welcomes that, uh, and he was actually pleased that Stefano Sitsipas, uh, who unfortunately got knocked out against Dan Ravinka, uh, was getting a bit more media attention this year. But yes, as you say, Mike, it certainly gives me the opportunity to ask him some uh, mainly light-hearted questions, but also questions that will give uh, him the opportunity to chat to us about how he's feeling on and off the court. It is a bit funny to think a top five guy could be considered a, a dark horse, and there's so much pressure on him to do well at the slams, yet, yet I think it's easy to forget that he's still only 22 years old. His his coach, like you mentioned, Yvonne Lendl, didn't win his first major until he was 24 years old. Uh, how much do you think this pressure to have success at a major tournament is affecting his performance? I'm not too sure about that. I think some of the external pressures are really about what the media talk about. He's one of a handful of up-and-coming players alongside Stefano Sissipas, a Dominique team, uh, to name but two, where the expectation is on them to go deep into a Grand Slam and possibly top one or two of the big names. But I got the opportunity to speak to Dominic Team uh, a couple of days ago, who again is having a great role on Garros this year, of course, reached the final last year. Uh, and actually asked Dominic, what will it take for one of the up-and-coming players to actually win a Grand Slam? Uh, and he made an obvious point, but I thought it was a very valid one. And he said, if you look at Roland Garros, for anyone who's looking to win it, uh, if you're not one of the top players, uh, and he put himself in that rank, basically, of the up-and-coming players, he said, for an up-and-coming player, what we will need to do to win Roland Garros is beat at least two players who've won at least 15 Grand Slams. Now, when you think about no, that, no big deal. No big deal, right? No. You know, that, that is going to be an amazing accomplishment uh, for anyone. Uh, and I had a sneaking feeling this year that Stefano Sissipas could do really well. Uh, he was knocked out in the second round last year against Rafa Nadal, who of course is the king of clay. I expected Stefanos to uh, go a lot deeper this year, but unfortunately uh, he lost in the last 16 to Stavro Ravrinka who's come, coming back from uh, knee surgery uh, in what was certainly, uh, as we're speaking now, one of the matches of the tournament so far. Absolutely, absolutely. Hey, tell me, Jonathan, aside from Zverev, you've had some good exchanges with several other players, including Roger Federer, who, as we know, always delivers. Um, who, has, who has struck you as a particularly friendly or engaging player in press that uh, maybe surprised you in that department? Well, I have to say that the question that Roger Federer fielded with me, he handled like the consummate professional. Uh, the backstory to that, as uh, I'm sure a lot of people will be aware, is that he's got a new design polo shirt this year, uh, which is a brown polo shirt, and a lot of people actually thought that it resembled the uniform of a certain international courier. Uh, organization uh, and I rather cheekily uh, asked Roger what he thought of the design uh, and if he'd ever considered being a brand ambassador for an international courier organization because when he's on the court he always delivers and he fielded that question just as uh, well as he's dispatched anyone at Roland Garros so far so I've certainly got a lot of respect for Roger. Uh, unfortunately, a couple of people who've uh, been knocked out already. I mentioned uh, Stefano Sissipas when he was winning. He's very engaging and open and honest. 
Uh, Naomi Osaka uh, is so young but has such a refreshing outlook. Uh, if she's had media training, it doesn't show because she just is so honest in what she says. Uh, she's quite quirky, but as a journalist, that's good. They're both out and they both took defeat very badly. Uh, but I think you'll probably agree with me, Mike, that in some respects that's good because it actually shows how much they care. We didn't get too much from them in the media conferences when they lost, but that's because defeat hurts them so much. Novak Djokovic, uh, of course, is always great in news conferences. But someone who's charmed me uh, is last year's uh, women's champion, uh, of course, Simona Halep. Uh, honest, down-to-earth, very unassuming, but she's always got a glint in her eye. Uh, she's loving her tennis now, uh, and we both know how hard it is to actually defend your title. But I wouldn't be surprised if uh, she can actually achieve that this year. It would be a big achievement, but there are some big names who've uh, been knocked out of the draw. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if Simona actually uh, defends her title this year. Jonathan, why do you think that you've had such success in bringing out some non-traditional responses from players in press? I mean, it's definitely not cookie-cutter stuff with you about just tactics and, and on-the-court, uh, you know, strengths and weaknesses. But, but what is it about you that, uh, that is having this, uh, this enormous response from these players? I think there's a couple of things, Mike. There's no doubt that my Yorkshire accent is definitely a novelty factor uh, <laughs> on the tour, and it always puts a smile on players' faces when I start asking a question, and I never know whether the smile uh, is because they are pleased to see me or they are just chuckling at my accent. Uh, I suspect it's the latter. Uh, this might surprise you that I do actually think in advance about the odd question and actually try and plan them. But as with everything, I think it's about trying to build a rapport and an understanding with a player and uh, I do try and pitch my questions uh, in the way in which I think they'll be well received and I think one uh, good example of that uh, I'm flying the British flag now Mike because Joe Conta, Johanna Conta who struggled on clay in the past uh, is now through to uh, her, the quarterfinals which is an amazing achievement by her uh, and last year I asked her a, a question about whether uh, she was affected by the external pressures of the, me uh, of the British media. She gave a very open, honest and candid approach which I certainly appreciated and she said it had affected her. Unfortunately in the British press, Mike, that was actually reported as Joe Conta taking a swipe at the media, which I certainly didn't see it as. And I thought that was, although she got knocked out in the first round, it, it, that was unfortunate. And uh, I, I was slightly nervous about chatting to her this year. Uh, but I was very lucky in that I got to ask her a question about baking uh, because she actually enjoys baking. Uh, and my question uh, was whether she regarded her form on clay a bit like baking a cake where she knew about all the different ingredients but she hadn't necessarily found the right recipe to get the results that she was looking for. She really enjoyed that uh, and since then we've struck up a, a great rapport. She's also gone on to chat to me about her wonderful dog Bono. Uh, I'm actually patting myself on the head tonight Mike, because <laughs> I actually uh, got the opportunity to ask her a question about Bono today uh, where I got the uh, opportunity to get three U2 puns in uh, one very short uh, question to her. Uh, 
which I'm still chuckling to myself about. So that's on my Twitter timeline. So well, that made today a uh, that made today a, a a beautiful day for you, I guess. Then. <laughs> but, but, but yes, uh, if you want to check that that out, that's up on my Twitter timeline at tweets by JP. If you're a pet fan or you're a U2 fan, uh, I think you'll enjoy it. And there might even be something in there for uh, the tennis fans as well. But, yeah, just to try and answer your question a bit more succinctly, Mike, I think it's just about establishing that rapport with the players, having a bit of respect, and actually just thinking about how you actually choose the right question. Uh, And I will ask questions that aren't always well-received, uh, there will be difficult moments, but sometimes you've got to take that chance, I think. Well, look, Joe Conta's in fine form, and, and you yourself, obviously, are, are hitting your stride again, once again this year. Just a final question for you, Jonathan, and I'll come back to where we started with Sasha Zverev one last time. If he does indeed win his first Grand Slam, whether it be here or at some point down the road, and delivers on his promise to you to bring the trophy to your hometown, will Yorkshire be prepared to receive him, and what type of welcome should he expect there? He will get a very warm Yorkshire welcome, Mike. Uh, He might have to pay himself to enjoy Yorkshire, because as you might know, we don't always enjoy putting our hands in our pockets, Uh, but you'll be delighted to know that the Yorkshire Tourist Board who are called Welcome to Yorkshire, have actually messaged me on Twitter. They've sent me a direct message, and they've actually said that they're keeping their fingers crossed that uh, Sasha does actually win, uh, certainly at Roland Garros this year, they're hoping, because they're already planning a a warm Yorkshire welcome. So he'll definitely get a a warm Yorkshire welcome, Uh, and then, of course, he will become the first adopted Yorkshireman to win a Grand Slam as well, which will be an amazing achievement. That's something else. Well, I can't wait to make my first visit as well at some point, so I hope you have the uh, door open for, uh, for a Canadian or two to come over at some point. And, uh, Jonathan, we, we can't wait to see what other fun and quirky questions you have lined up this week in Paris. Keep us entertained, my friend, and enjoy the final week of this fantastic tournament. We look forward to chatting with you again down the road. Thanks, Mike. Always a pleasure. There you have it. Jonathan Pinfield appearing on Matchpoint Canada with our very own Mike McIntyre. He's an absolute character. Yes. <laughs> the guy is just terrific. And, you know, there might be some people out there that prefer just the generic sort of boring tactic questions or tell me your strengths and weaknesses, how you're feeling going into the match. I love the fact that he's willing to put himself out there and go different places with these players because that allows them to sort of lower their guard yeah, and then allows for answers that you may not have gotten, you know, uh, ahead of time. And I think he's just got a very genuine ability to connect with people and the players sort of feel safe and comfortable and realize he doesn't have a hidden agenda. He's not trying to stir the pot as some reporters are tempted to do from time to time. He really just wants to connect with you and then help you connect with his listeners, which he's done such a fantastic job at doing. And uh, for Zverev now into his second ever Grand Slam quarterfinal, both happening with Jonathan Pinfield there, he may want to bring him on uh, to his entourage full time just as like a mental (laughs) health coach or something. No kidding. You think about how uh, he's completely turned around his game at the French Open. Uh, Leading up to Roland Garros, we had so many difficulties uh, on the clay for Sasha Zverev. And it it does, you can see, it just brings a smile to his face when Jonathan Pinfield starts to ask a question. And that's a great point. He brings about insightful answers with those insightful, often unexpected questions, which is uh, great to see. Uh, You 
have been listening to Matchpoint Canada, remember you can find us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. Subscribe on SoundCloud. Before we go, we have a couple, a winner rather, to announce for our Rogers Cup draw. Yeah, so this is our third winner now for the upcoming Rogers Cup this summer in Toronto. The women will be here. And these tickets that were given away uh, on this episode are for the Tuesday, August 6th daytime um, session, which you should have all top eight seeds now starting to play their first matches. And we're happy to announce that the winner this week that we drew before the episode is Melissa at Sachet Sachet on Twitter, if I'm saying that properly. And so, Melissa, congratulations. We will be in touch to get those tickets mailed out to you. And while we don't have tickets on the show this week, we do promise to have several more pairs up for grabs, including hopefully some for the uh, men's event in Montreal. So stay tuned, check back with us, and we hope to draw your name on a future episode. We will talk to you next time.